Welcome to another edition of Inside the Economy. I'm Larry Howes. Thanks for joining me. Quick look at the numbers. The issue these days is new inflation numbers reported. Our core CPI is now 2.4%. Yay. Uh, if you look at the number, we started, you know, May 2.1. We've crept to 2.2, 2.3. Now 2.4. Yay. 10-year record. We haven't had core inflation that high. Fine. Oil is below 70. The dollar is getting stronger against the euro. We're at 114. I think that's uh, all positive signs, even though I hope the continuing strength of the dollar slows. Now, the inflation number, headline inflation, CPI inflation, consumer price index inflation, 2.9, has been for a while. It's the core that's gone up to 2.4, and that's where the record is. That's fine. That'll keep the Fed happy, and it'll give more motive to raise rates. Uh, for a real evaluation of what's in the system, there is the PPI, the Producer Price Index, final demand number. That's 3.7. I think that'll settle down maybe 3.4 before we get in the third quarter. Now, here's the drama. There really isn't a lot of drama. We've gone 10 years without any inflation at all, and now that the blue line there has crept up just a little tiny bit, now you're going to hear about it more and more. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's been anticipated for a long time. What is, in my opinion, more important, what's going on right now, we got 94 months of nonstop new job growth in the U.S. Uh, that breaks all kinds of records. The records aren't important. What is important is I see no end to this. The new job growth is very productive. The new workers are required to have education. It's getting harder and harder to find people that'll take tickets at the parking lot or hand out french fries. Everybody's getting better jobs. And, in the first time in a long time, uh, these people with new jobs are spending more. Spending is up, it's up about 4% of the year. And interestingly enough, slightly higher mortgage rates have curbed home refis for the first time in 18 years, people aren't using their homes as an ATM machine. It's great. So here is wages, here's total benefits, total compensation. It is creeping up in a good way for the average worker. And uh, I think as long as inflation stays at two and a half, 2.6, 2.7, wherever it is, and these numbers creep into the system, Spending creeps up, the cost of things creeps up a little bit, and the Fed raises until that slows, when the interest rates are too high, things slow, then they'll be done. Now, the S&P 500 are showing records of their own. Operating margins are running 12%. It's astonishingly good. Percentage going to labor is climbing high. S&P 500 is doing a great job. They have plenty of cash. They are selling their wares. Inflation has not been an issue. Foreseeably, even with a 10 or a 15% correction in this stock market in the S&P 500, it's just a buying opportunity. 
Now, corporate America has borrowed a lot of money in the last five or six years. Basically, money's been free. If you can go out and buy yourself a whole bunch of money for 3% over 25 years, it's worth it. You look at the chart here, and here's basically what the S&P 500 has in the way of assets, total debt, cash on the books. There's nothing dramatic. There's more debt, but there's lots of cash to back it up. They, too, are not building a bubble, a valuation bubble that we've talked about before. They're doing fine. Now, some of this valuation is due to the fact that they've been buying their own stock back. And the S&P 500 has been buying their own stock back, affectionately known as the S&P buybacks. If you look back, way back, in the 90s, large billions of dollars a quarter has been dedicated to buying their own stock back. And with the new corporate tax rate, it makes it even more attractive. It was $190 billion or so last quarter of them buying their own stock. Well, it makes all the numbers look good if you're taking your stock out of the market, holds the value up, makes your underlying profitability look good. But the margins aren't affected by this. That's just good operations. And your typical management team is going to hang on to that or get punished in the marketplace. Now, I get a lot of questions about federal debt. That's fine. I'm fine with questions. Hopefully, someday we'll settle this. Now, the U.S. government's got about $21 trillion in outstanding federal debt in treasuries. Our GDP is coming up on $20 trillion. So we're 110, 115, whatever it is, percentage of GDP. It's not a bad number. It bothers a lot of people. The issue is probably not, clearly not, an economic one. It is a political one. And the increase in this total amount of outstanding debt is totally a political issue. 75% of the federal budget is non-discretionary. It's Social Security. It's Medicare. It's interest on the loans. It is money to states for highways, money to states for Medicaid. It's sort of non-negotiable. The remaining 25%, well, that's a defense budget. That's some... Um, Highway funds, that's walls in Mexico. Pick a reason. It's not that big a number, but almost all of that is paid to U.S. manufacturing and vendors. If you want to cut the defense budget, well, don't buy another aircraft carrier and put Newport News shipbuilding out of business. Or don't give Lockheed Martin a $38 billion contract to build a bunch of fighters. You can cut it back. You can focus on paying this stuff off, but you're just going to have to decide where you're going to cut back. Who's not going to get paid to reduce the growth of Treasury debt? I won't spend a lot of time telling you again how valuable Treasuries are. They are the underlying foundation for the global financial system. Every institutional portfolio out there owns Treasuries. And when you own Treasuries, Vast majority of time, when they mature, you simply buy another one. So there is no hurry to pay these off. Most of the people that own them don't want them paid off. There's no place to go if you're a bank, a life insurance company, a property and casualty insurance company, a pension fund, a state government, 
you have to buy treasuries. So this amount here, this 21 trillion, this is not gonna shrink in the foreseeable future. The issue is gonna be how much growth in this number you can actually control. Now, on the energy side of things, which has been a big component of inflation in the past, the United States is the fastest growing exporting economy for oil on Earth. We're over 600 million barrels a year now and growing. When this gets to about 800 million barrels a year, that's about what we import. That would be oil neutral. It has very little impact in our economy, but is it a huge piece of business if you're in the exporting business? This is just petroleum. This is not liquefied natural gas, which is another big industry, which the United States is a huge player in the world for that. And those countries, which right now are in a big, huge tariff debate, that need LNG, liquefied natural gas the most, amazingly enough, Europe and China. More on that later. The other side of the energy business is not such great news. Uh, most of you know we spent a couple of weeks in Germany looking at some companies doing a lot of things. You can't go anywhere in Germany without being out of sight of a huge windmill. And most of the farms and most of the houses in all the little communities all have solar cells on their roofs. And Germany is one of the countries, if you look at this little chart, that sends a lot of energy back into their utility companies. In fact, they send so much energy back that the price goes negative frequently. The green is generally solar cells that during the daytime, especially in places like Texas, Nevada, Australia, parts of Germany, flood the utility companies with power that they can't use. Amazingly enough, during the middle of the day, there's not a lot of demand for electricity. After seven o'clock at night, that's when the demand builds. Not so handy if you're relying on solar cells. Well, wind is better at that point. Wind's a lot more expensive to put up than solar cells are. The point is, utilities are still responsible for providing the power when you want it. Evening out the demand, but they are having to eat huge amounts of electricity and pay for it when they can't use it or resell it. The industry is going to have to change. Now, long-term is a utility a good investment? Long-term it probably is. Right now, they're going through huge changes that we don't even know how complex they're gonna be. California, by the way, is a huge wind producer. Uh, it's too bad they can't use all the power they generate. Now, finally, let's wrap up our discussion about inflation. There are huge forces out there that are deflationary and are going to be pulling down this number, this 2.4 core number. You know, and here they are. It's Russia, Brazil, South Africa, China, and India. Those are the largest sources of very, very cheap labor on Earth. Their per capita income, India has not reached $2,000 a head yet. China, not quite $7,000 a year. Their labor is cheap. Per capita income in the United States, it's about 34000 These places are going to adjust, and they are going to get back in the manufacturing side of the consumer goods we buy, clothing, shoes, stuff that isn't so high-tech. 
or sensitive when it comes to stealing secrets, which is the problem with China right now. This holds inflation down. Energy is not going to be a source going forward. We have our own. Okay. S&P 500 is doing fine. Fed's going to increase certainly once more in 2018, maybe twice. They're at 2% right now. They'll probably start slowing down and rethinking their thoughts. Two and three quarter. They might get to three. I doubt they'll go past that. All in all, things look great. Again, if you have any questions, just send me an email here. I'll be happy to talk about it. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.